So some of you know our story. Some of you don't know the story uh, of uh, the journey that Elisa and I have been on. Um, but uh, much like Keith, I, I began my ministerial career in uh, youth ministry. I was a youth pastor. Um, after doing that for a few years, um, went to seminary, got a seminary degree, uh, went to California, was working in a church in California for a year. Uh, Elisa and I felt God calling us to start a church, to plant a church, to start a new church. And so we followed God's call and we said yes and... Um, we moved from California back to Texas where we were from and we sort of gathered our brains for a little bit and then we went to North Carolina. Um, and an interesting thing happened. Up until that point, we had obviously heard from God. We had had some, some intimate times of God communicating to us because, as I just said, we felt he called us to plant a church. You don't do that lightly. You don't come up with that idea on your own. That's <laughs> certainly something that God puts on your heart. Um, and so we felt like God was with us, and we felt his presence, and we felt his voice and his hand guiding us along. And then we arrived in North Carolina, and it felt like almost the day we got there, God's voice disappeared. As soon as we arrived to do this thing that, that we felt he had asked us to do, we began to feel uh, a drought in our prayer life. Prayer, our prayer life was dry and arid. We, we got no, no uh, joy or no, no um, connection with God through, through worship or through scripture. And we certainly couldn't hear him telling us, you know, what he wanted us to do. That kind of an experience is um, scary. And for people who have followed God for a long time, it can feel, um, particularly depending on your background, it can make you feel a little bit guilty, like it's something you did. Like, oh my gosh, is there some unconfessed sin in my life and God has removed his presence from me until I figure out what it is, right? That wasn't the case. And I found out years later that I wasn't the only one who had had this experience. That it's been happening for centuries and it's been written about and it's, it's a phenomenon called the dark night. Um, the dark night is a phenomenon in your faith journey in which we can no longer sense God's presence. We can no longer sense the things that we used to be able to sense. In fact, St. John of the Cross, who really kind of wrote about this and elaborated on it a lot, uh, he was a, a mystic, wrote centuries ago. Um, St. John of the Cross calls it the night of sense. Because we, we can no longer sense God's presence. And so I want to talk about that today because uh, it's a stage of, of spiritual growth. It's, it's a place that, that many of us have been through or are going through or may go through at some point in the future. And we're in the middle of this study now. Many of us um, uh, here at Life Path called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And, and it's, it's one of the things that we're looking at in the coming week is this idea of the dark night. And so I want to talk about three things today. Um, number one, sorry, I can't seem to keep this on my ear. Uh, number one, the dark night is a normal stage of spiritual growth. We're going to talk about how it's not weird, it's not unusual that everybody goes through it or everyone might go through it. But the second thing I'm going to talk about is that the dark night deepens our faith. There's a purpose behind it. There's a reason that we go through it. And then the third thing is the dark night ends with fulfillment of God's promises. I want to make sure that we understand that 
that it does have an end and it is a happy ending. We see the dark night in scripture. Um, it's not called that by name, but we can see it in, in a few stories and in a few characters' lives and, and actually in many places. We can see places where God kind of removes his voice or his presence. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. I, I want to remind you that I call it the night of sense because St. John of the Cross calls it the night of sense. God doesn't actually remove his presence. He doesn't go far from you during the dark night. It's just that we lose the ability to feel him and the ability to sense him. It's important that we understand that. So throughout scripture, we see some stories where uh, people lose their communication with God. They lose their connection with God. And one of the ones I want to talk about today is um, in Genesis. Well, before I put the slide up, a little background. Um, Abraham. The story of our faith starts with Abraham. Many of you know this. I talk about Abraham a lot because it's so foundational to understanding who we are as people of God. Uh, you know, the first, the first 10 chapters of Genesis or so, 11 chapters of Genesis, are kind of background story. Really, the story of Scripture and the story that, that culminates, that cl- comes to its climax in Jesus Christ, that story begins with Abraham. Abraham was important because uh, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, uh, I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. If you can even count the stars, that's how many descendants you will have. And ultimately, that, that line of descendants is where we, where we get King David, and then beyond that, we get Jesus, who blesses and saves the entire world. This is why the story starts with Abraham. And this first covenant, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a child, and this child is going is to be your heir, and you're going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them. But here's the problem. Abraham was really old, And Abraham's wife was really old and she was barren and they had no child. But the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham said, okay, yeah, I believe you. But then they kind of didn't really believe God because Sarah came to Abraham and said, you know, I've got this plan. I kind of want a family too. And since I can't have kids, how about you take my slave girl and have a baby with her? And Abraham's like, okay, sure. (laughs) Sounds good to me. So they do that, and they have a child, and that child is named Ishmael. This all happens at the end of Genesis chapter 16. So I want to highlight something here. So Hagar bore Abram's son, and Abram, he hadn't changed his name yet to Abraham. So it's the same guy, Abram, Abraham. Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, wait, what? (laughs) If you've not noticed that before, there's a 13-year gap in that tiny little space there between chapter 16 and chapter 17. 13 years go by. 13 years where Abram does not hear from God. Now, it doesn't say that Abram doesn't hear from God, so where am I getting that from? I'm getting that from the fact that what happens next is that God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And the child I'm going to give you is going to come from your own wife. This was a surprise to Abraham. Abraham had thought for the last 13 years that the child he already had, named Ishmael, was the child that God had promised. We can can surmise this because Abraham was surprised when God said, no, 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 you're going to have a child by your own wife. And Abram laughs. It says that he laughs at God and says, you've got to be kidding me. 
I'm 99. She's, she's 90. Like, th- this isn't going to happen, right? Abram went through a dark night, 13 years, where he thought God had promised him something, but he didn't hear otherwise from God, and he just continued to walk in faith. So we see things like this in Scripture, and it's important to know that a dark night like this is not abnormal, it's not unusual. I'm going to show you the 13 years of silence. I forgot to do my little trick. There it comes, boom, in the middle of, okay. It worked better in my head, I'm sorry. So Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, puts uh, this, this kind of, uh, he, he puts forward these stages of the Christian journey. Now he didn't create these, he, he adapted these from a book called The Critical Journey, uh, Stages in the Life of Faith by Janet ha- uh, Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And, and these stages of faith, again, this is not scriptural, but this is a healthy way for us to look to people who've come before us in their Christian faith and understand how our faith life unfolds. Uh, and this is a way to conceptualize it. Um, the beginning of our faith journey typically starts with a life-changing awareness of God. And maybe some of you in this room can remember the moment when you had some kind of life-changing awareness of God, right? Uh, and that happens differently in different faith traditions, but at some point, those of us who journey with Jesus, we have some moment where we're like, this Things are different now. My life has changed. The second stage he talks about is learning about God. Sometimes we call this discipleship, although discipleship is really a lifelong process. But, but the idea of learning about God, uh, what is God like? We, we look in the Bible, we look at, to, to other people, have conversations. What is God like? We learn about God. And the next phase is learning through action. And many of us do this uh, through our service to others. And we try to find ways to, to make the world a better place. Try to bring God's kingdom into being in the world. And this is all an important part of faith. I do want to say that, that I didn't number these. Schizero doesn't number these. Because I, think, I think it's important to understand that it's not necessarily sequential. We can move backwards. We can move forward. Sometimes they happen in different times. But the point is right there in the middle is this thing called the dark night. When, when, when God removes your ability to sense his presence, we call that the dark night. And typically, that comes before these other stages that happen. Uh, the journey inward, which is when we begin to experience contemplative life. We begin to, to journey into our own inner life. Finding new ways to be with Christ. To just sit with him. To not necessarily do something for him, but to be with Christ. And then the journey outward, which is not the same thing as learning through action, serving and doing. The journey outward is like a surrender. It's like finding your call, your life's call, your vocation. And ultimately, the end goal of this entire journey of faith is a life of love poured out for the sake of the world. This idea that we are so consumed with love for God that we we give of ourselves without even thinking. So this is the idea, but the dark night is a normal part of this process. It's a part of this process when we lose that sense of God and God's presence and it delves us deeper. It moves us deeper into faith. It moves us deeper into trusting without having to feel. And that kind of leads me to the second point that I was going to make, which is that, that the dark night deepens our faith. Well, how does the dark night deepen our faith? It deepens our faith because when we're, when we're walking with Jesus and we sense his presence, when we feel the joy of worship, when we pray and we, we understand the connection and we're experiencing that, that is um, confirming in us that, that Jesus is with us. When God might, maybe when God takes away that sense, all of a sudden we can't trust that sensation anymore. 
We have to trust the fact that God is real and present and with us even when we cannot feel it. So it deepens our faith. So I want to talk about two encounters that Jesus had that I really love that sort of illustrates this. And, and neither one of them is better than the other or bad or worse or good. They're just two different kinds of faith. And I want you to understand that. In the first story, there is a royal official. Um, and, and this royal official comes to Jesus and he says, please come and heal my son. I need you to come and heal my son. Come with me. Journey with me back to my home and heal my son. And Jesus gives him a little bit of a kind of a testy response. He says, unless you people believe, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The royal official says, please come down before my child dies. Jesus did not honor his request. In other words, Jesus didn't go with him. Jesus said, go. Your son will live. Jesus still healed, but he said, I'm not going with you. You need to just go. And here's where I see an interesting parallel to the dark night. Sometimes it's helpful to put ourselves into the characters in scripture, the stories that we read. Put yourself in the shoes of this man who had just asked for, for his dying child to be healed. And Jesus says, go away, go home. Your son will live. And you're walking home, a long multi-day journey to walk home. And you're filled with, with doubt, with questions, with uncertainty, with fear. You don't know if your son is alive or not. You don't know if Jesus actually did it or not. You hope he did. But walking along that journey without Jesus by his side, that is the dark night. He's met on the road by someone from his household who says, guess what? Your son is alive. Your son got better. And he says, when was it? He's still wondering, is this really Jesus? I'm just not sure. Was it chance? Was it something else? When did it happen? And they told him the time in the afternoon that, that the fever left him. And then the father realized that was when Jesus had said the words and it healed him. So the dark night, it's still faith. The man still had faith to go to Jesus. He still had the faith to walk home, even though Jesus wasn't with him. But he really wanted that, that presence. He wanted that sense of Jesus. Now contrast that with the second story uh, in the Gospel of Matthew this time. The Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and, and says, uh, my servant lies at home and, and, and he's suffering terribly. And in this case, for some reason, Jesus says, should I, go should I go with you? Do you want me to come with you to go heal him? And in this case, the centurion says, you know what? I understand how authority works. I'm a soldier. I have people above me and I have people who report to me. And I know that you have authority. And if you just say the word, it will be done. That's a different kind of faith. That's saying, Jesus, I don't need you to walk with me. I trust in your power and I trust in your healing grace and I don't need to feel it alongside me on the road home. And Jesus praises the man and says, this is incredible faith. And then he said, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. In both cases, the child was healed. In both cases, the, the person had faith. But in one case, the, the faith was a kind of faith that wanted to sense the presence of Jesus along the road home. And the other faith was a kind of faith that was okay without the presence of Jesus. This is what the dark night does for us. When we, when we journey through the dark night, and it, it happens upon us, we don't we, don't, we can't make it happen. It sort of happens to us. But when we willingly journey through that, we begin to learn how to trust Jesus, that he will heal, that he will save, that he will work his works 
without us feeling his presence. So it's important to know it's a regular part of life. It's important to know that it deepens our faith. And then the last thing that's important to know is that it always ends with God fulfilling his promises. There are some people who experience the dark night for a really long time. Some of you may have read uh, about Mother Teresa, who at the time of her death, um, she, in, in, her, in the book that was released after her death, she, she describes that, that she was in a dark night for most of her adult life. There was a very brief period of about a month where she was relieved from that, but then descended back into the dark night again. So when I say it ends with God fulfilling his promises, I don't necessarily mean it, it ends happy for you in this life. It's certainly possible that it could last a very long time. That's unusual. For most people, it's a shorter duration. It lasts and it has an ending. But I want to make sure that we understand that God is faithful. God is always there with us and God is faithful. And so the story I want to talk about is back to Abraham. And I'm going to talk about this story that can be somewhat problematic for us because for some reason, it's one of those Bible stories we teach children that makes no sense to teach to children because it's so complicated. There comes a point after Abraham believes God the second time when God says, you're going to have a, a, a child with your wife, Sarah, and I want you to name him Isaac. And it happens. And so Abraham has a child named Isaac with his wife, Sarah. And at some point, many years later, the child, we, we can tell from the story, the child is old enough to understand what's going on and have a conversation. So he may be early, like um, early teen or maybe a bit younger than that. Um, there's a story about Abraham being asked by God to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. Now, I want to say a couple things about this. This is a story from an ancient, ancient book in an ancient, ancient culture in a world that was filled with religions that did terrible atrocities like child sacrifice and things like that. And that is not the character of Yahweh, the God of our Bible. And it was completely out of character and whoever wrote it down, we're not sure exactly who wrote the book of Genesis, but whoever wrote it down was, was pointing to something else. There's something else going on. So don't get hung up on the fact that, that Abraham was asked to kill his son. It was never intended to happen. From the beginning, the very beginning of the chapter says, and so this is how God tested Abraham. So as an ancient reader, you would have said, okay, this is a story this is not God revealing his true character. This is God trying to point out something about the covenant. Okay, so remember, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. Abraham had a child the wrong way. Then God came back and said, Abraham, it's going to be a different child, but that child is going to change the world. I'm going to bless the whole world through that child. And so Abraham, at 99 years old, had this child. That child grows up and is now 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. This is the child of the promise. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take this child and I want you to offer him up to me. This is a moment of faith for Abraham. Abraham says yes. How is he able to say yes? I mean, it's not just about losing your own child. It's about the fact that this is the promise that God had made. This is everything God promised. And my entire future and generations to come, it's my only son. And God says, you want me to give that up? That, that doesn't make any sense. But Abraham didn't hesitate. And I believe the reason he didn't hesitate is because he had been through that dark night. He had been without the sensation of God and God's voice 
and he had decided, I'm just going to trust. And it's funny because we, we can kind of see glimpses that Abraham was trusting God and Abraham knew what was up, we think. Because they get to the hill, he takes his son Isaac, and they get to the bottom of the hill and they've got wood and they've got fire and they brought their servant person and he says to the servant, okay, wait here, we'll be back in a little while. We will be back in a little while. And then they go up the hill and they're walking up the hill and this child who certainly is, is smart enough to understand what's going on, he looks at his father and he says, uh, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. I personally believe that Abraham knew. He's like, look, God, I will trust you. And I trust you so much, not only am I willing to give up my son, but I, I trust that that's not what you want, but I'm going to follow what you told me to do. And sure enough, he gets up there and the angel of the Lord appears and says, don't, don't do this, Abraham. Here's what he says. The angel of the Lord at the bottom in Genesis 22 here says, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. So the dark night deepens our faith. It helps us understand that God is trustworthy. And ultimately, at the end of it, there is a sense that God fulfills his promises. The interesting, interesting thing about my story is God, as I mentioned, God called us to, to plant this church. We got to North Carolina. We were planting the church and we felt like God sort of disappeared. We lived there for four years trying to make this church happen. It, it didn't happen. We ended up not being able to financially sustain ourselves. We had a small core group of people who became our dear, dear friends, lifelong friends, but we had to say goodbye. We had to close the church and it was a huge crisis of faith. But I think here's what's interesting about that. We were called to start that church. We, get, we got a vision from God for an amazing church that was going to be different, that was going to reach people that, that other churches couldn't reach, that was going to be so unique and perfect for us. God gave us that vision in 1999 when we went to plant that church. And it was 13 years later that I met a guy named Keith Miller. God gave us a promise. And I thought maybe Ishmael was the promise. And it turns out 13 years later, God had a different church in mind for us. He had a different plan in life for us. Sometimes you walk through that dark night and you don't know what's happening and you don't know where God is taking you. But the promise is fulfilled on the other side. So, I want to leave you with this last illustration. It's kind of like if you are learning to ride a bike. And I'm going to walk over here to the center of the screen, Ian, so if you can capture the whole screen with me. Sometimes you're learning to ride a bike and the adult who loves you is holding on to that bike. You can sense their presence. You know that they're there. And you're working hard. But eventually at some point, the person who loves you, who is guiding you along, will let go. And you can no longer sense that they're there. You can no longer feel that they're there. But the reason they let go of you is because you have to do it on your own. To really ride your bike, you need them to let go of you so you can pedal and steer and make some headway. 
And in your life of faith, God is guiding you and he is putting his hands on you and you can sense his presence. But at some time, at some point, he might let go. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he's not there. It's because he wants you to learn to pedal on your own. He wants you to ride that bike on your own and live a life of faith that doesn't depend on those kinds of sensations. It's a grace, it's a blessing, and it's proof of God's love for us. So if you find yourself in a dark night or have been through one or are going through one now, don't be discouraged. Remember, God keeps his promises. The dark night is meant to deepen your faith and you come out on the other side completely understanding God's fulfillment of his promises. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we love you even though sometimes we can't feel you. We trust that you love us and that you guide us. And we trust in those moments when we can't sense your presence, those moments that feel like darkness. We trust that you're with us. We trust that you're guiding us. My prayer for us at Life Path is that you would deepen our faith. Help us trust you in ways that lead to glorious fulfillment of your promises for us, both as individuals and as a church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.